two weeks ago, you remember Jesus is at a meal with some Pharisees, and he's telling them hard truths that they need to hear in order to live right and also to die right. Because you see, we get to live, don't we? Aren't you excited we get to live? And the Bible's full of instructions so we would live right. But unfortunately, 10 out of 10 of us are going to die. And the Bible says, I want you to know how to die right as well. I want you to understand. And so Jesus has been given teachings on marriage and divorce and remarriage and finances and stewardship and lost sheep and lost coins and wayward sons. And he's been given us understanding on heaven and hell and so many important subjects. And the Bible tells us in chapter 1 or chapter 16, verse 1, that the Pharisees derided him. Pfft, what does this guy know? This guy talking about death and dying and money and responsibility and the law. He doesn't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And you and I need to be careful. There is that reaction we have to God's word. Pfft, how does he know what I'm going through? Have you ever, don't raise your hand, but have you ever thought that before? How could God possibly know what I'm going through? And you, if you're smart here today, he will settle into the fact that God loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he's given to you his word. He's like, I I'll walk you through this. I know what you need. I've given it to you right here. Don't deride the Lord. And Jesus told this story when those guys acted this way. And he talked about hell. He talked about Hades. And talked about Abraham being there. And Lazarus being with Abraham. And the rich man being separated from Abraham. And torment and difficulty. And that man in the very final verses said, would you just send back Lazarus from the dead? And would you tell my five brothers that there is a hell to fear and a heaven to gain? So that way they don't make the same tragic mistakes that I made. Remember what Abraham said to him? They've got the law and the prophets. They're fine. And he said, no, 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 no. You got to let me send somebody back from the dead. So that way they believe. And he said, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, they won't believe somebody coming back from the dead. They've got enough in the Bible to make a cognitive, educated decision on what God has revealed. You've all realized that, haven't you? Let me say it differently. How many of you guys still have good questions, like really good questions? Lord, are there really spaceships? I need to know. You know, like you're holding out, like, is there life on Mars? I can't surrender to Jesus till I find out. Like, you know, you got your good questions. I kind of kid. I got questions, and you should too. Plenty of questions. I wonder about things and how things exist and what's really going on, and I ask these questions. Let me just tell you, though, there's enough answers already given to supersede the questions you come up with, okay? There are 66 books worth of answers, and you and I would be foolish to read all 66 books of answers and say, you know, you covered a lot, but did the chicken come before the egg? Can you make a rock so big that you can't pick it up? Did Adam have a belly button? All these crazy questions we come up with that aren't covered in the scriptures. And Jesus says, I believe there's enough in the, listen, I'll just read it to you. Verse 29, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. He objected. Verse 31, Abraham reminds him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. I'm going to say it this way. There's enough revelation in this book to show us how to live and how to die. Okay, it's already, it's already been given to us. The question is, is, are you going to take what you've been given? Or are you going to wrongly object, raise your questions, hire an attorney of your mind and say, well, I don't know. You haven't really been thorough enough. Careful, careful. See, Jesus understands that we need to believe him, and he's given to us his life, he's given to us his word, he's given to us his Holy Spirit, and he's given to us his church to convince us of his rightness, 
And so when these guys derided him, he would warn us, don't do that. Now we're moving on, though, into chapter 17, verse 1. And I believe that Jesus is still talking to three groups, his foes, those are the bad guys, his fans, those are the guys that can't decide, and his friends, those are the disciples, the apostles. And he's at this meal on this Sabbath day with all these people, people that are looking for anything critical to put back on him. And also the fans that are hopefully just looking for a free hoodie or a hat out of the deal. And then also his friends, the ones that will do whatever he says, even if it's difficult. Look at verse one. It says, then he said to the disciples, that's hopefully you and me today, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. That's pretty tough talk from loving Jesus. He said, it's impossible that you won't get offended, but God forbid that you be the one doing the offending. It'd be better for you that you would go swimming without a life jacket and instead go swimming with a millstone around your neck. In those days, millstones were huge. They were about as big as this pulpit and they'd be used to grind wheat and grind olives and produce oil. And he says, if you're gonna mess with people, it'd be better for you to just tap out now. Don't mess with people. But then before that, he said, guess what? You're gonna get messed with. Did you notice verse one? It's impossible that offenses should not come. You're gonna be offended. Have you ever been offended before? Have you, have you been offended since I started talking? <laughs> we live in the most offended generation that's ever been offended. We love to be offended. As a matter of fact, we're kind of addicted to being offended. If I go a whole day without being offended, I'm offended. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what happened? I didn't, so many lied. They must have lied to me. That's why I'm not offended. And, and we're just, it's crazy. And it's justified in our eyes. We can be offended I just want to bring it back to 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, verse 1, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Then he goes on to teach us, though. He gives us some rules, if you would, to the offenses. Offenses would be interpreted as sins done by you or sins done against you. Offenses. The Greek word there is scandalon. It's like rocks put in your way or hurdles, things that are not right. And Jesus warns, don't be doing that to the younger people. And he's not just talking younger kiddos, though that is true. He's talking to younger Christians, talking to the older Christians that are listening here, the Pharisees who would come around these new disciples and put heavy weights on them and scandalize them. Jesus says, knock it off. Don't be leading other people into trials in that way. There's gonna be offenses, but you better be careful not to be the offender. Look at what he says in verse three. He says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, listen, forgive him. Now, right then, their eyebrows must have gone up. Like, okay, I'll forgive him. Like, once, if he buys me a pumpkin spice latte. <sighs> Verse four, he ups the ante. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. What? Jesus is talking about offenses. It's impossible that they're not gonna be here. It's part of life. There's gonna be fights. Careful that it not be you who offend people, but we've all done that. And when you've been offended, Jesus gives instruction, and he says, when you've been offended, forgive, and then do it again. And then on the fifth time again, and on the seventh time again, and in other portions of scripture, he said 70 times seven, which is infinite, again and again, rebuke and forgive. Rebuke and forgive. Rebuke and forgive. Now, right then, their eyebrows must have gone way up high and eyeballs into the back of their head because here's what they say in verse five. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Like, 
Lord, we're going to need a really big pumpkin spice latte to do that. Like a venti, you know, Trenta. We're going to need that 30-ouncer. How are we going to do that? They keep, if somebody comes into me and sins against me once, I forgive you. And they come back 90 minutes later, hey, I did that same thing again. Mind forgiving me all over? Wow, you're a weirdo. Yeah, I forgive you, you know. Third time, me again. You know, it's like, no, dude, stop this seven times in a day. He's being superfluous in his explanation here that, listen, forgiveness is a lifestyle. Coincidentally, contrastingly, repentance is a lifestyle. You have to know how to forgive people over and over, but you also, because you're going to be an offender, unfortunately, you have to know how to ask for forgiveness. It's called repentance over and over, and it's a lifestyle. These guys said, Lord, we're going to need some more faith for this, bro. Listen to what Jesus said. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Wow. Jesus answered to this high calling of how to live in this life full of offenses. He said, you just need a little bit of faith, put in a big God and miracles will happen. That if you take this little mustard seed and put it in the ground, it can actually uproot a mulberry bush and throw it into the sea, which would, by the way, indicate a miracle. Those were known in those days as deeply rooted bushes and trees, unable to be taken out easily. And so Jesus picked that on purpose, knowing that you and I have objections to forgiveness, objections to repentance, and us harder than that, Lord. And there's no way I can forgive this person who's offended me. It's very difficult. The roots are so deep. And he's like, really? A mulberry bush can be uprooted by a mustard seed of faith. Now, again, Right now, each one of us have attorneys in our minds saying, objection, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know how much I've had to endure through my offender. And I would say to you, you're right, I don't know. And I don't believe the Lord is producing this teaching for us to walk lightly over the difficulties and the disappointments and the hurts that you've endured by others. There's nothing light about this subject, but I do believe that Jesus confronts it full face in the front in order that we wouldn't miss it so we would know how to live rightly and how to die well also so we would live free. Because you really only have one choice. You can either obey and live or you can disobey and find yourself not living. Jesus gives us his commands. They're very simple. And yet you and I needs faith to trust him. Now let me make sure I'm talking to the right crowd here. Make sure you came to the right church. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever been offended or sinned against. Raise your hand. If anybody's ever offended you or sinned against you, okay? All of you. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever offended another person or sinned against that person. Raise your hand. Oh, wow. All of you. So, so today I'm dealing with a bunch of offended sinners offending other sinners. So this is, we should, can we just take communion now? Like, this need, we need help here. And I just want to make sure you see yourself as the person, the student here. Jesus is talking to you. You've all offended somebody and you've all been offended. Jesus said it in verse one. It's impossible that there be no offenses. It's gonna be gnarly. Life's gonna be messy. I remind myself, my family, those I counsel, that we're in post-Genesis three. Genesis one and two is perfection. Genesis three, everything went off the rails and now we live in the jungle. Things are difficult. Life's hard and sin is a factor. Sometimes I get surprised by that. Do you? Sometimes I'm like, oh my, I can't believe they offended me. Every once in a while, Sometimes I'm surprised at what I do. Have you ever been surprised at some of the stuff that comes out of your mouth or the things you think? If we knew everything you thought just yesterday, you would be on a one-way ticket to the state penitentiary, okay? <laughs> just your thoughts alone. 
would just incriminate you. Nobody would argue, yeah, they're pretty bad. You know, it was a Saturday and my team lost, you know, and I'm ready to kill somebody. Here's the deal. Jesus said, there's no way you're going to avoid offenses. There's going to be a fight. Life is full of fights. Now, if you're like me, you, you appreciate fights. I actually like wrestling. I like boxing. I like UFC. I like cage fighting. I, I like football. I'm an athlete. I like this because one of the things about fights and wrestling is that there's an end to it and there's a resolve. There's, there's rules. There's ways that it actually works well. Did you know that if you go to a UFC cage fight, it's pretty gnarly, but there's rules. And the first thing you have to do is honor your opponent. You have to reach out and shake his hand. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. I'm about to punch you, you know? <laughs> I'm about to, I'm going to try and put you on the mat hard, okay? No hard feelings. And then you fight, and when the fight's over, the bell's rung, and the ref grabs one person's hand and rings it, and there's another handshake, and the fight's over. Isn't it awesome? Imagine if they continued to fight then. Okay, imagine after an hour later in the dressing room, you go up there and you fight the guy, or maybe later on the flight home, you jump on his flight and you start fighting him, and the next day at Danny's, you see him, and you just... You don't do that. The fight is over and honor is given. There's rules to fighting. So too, in this world, it's impossible that you don't get offended. It's impossible that you don't offend others. The question is, are you going to obey the rules? Here's the main two rules. You have to repent and you have to forgive. If you don't repent and you don't forgive, you will be stuck in bitterness and smallness and there will be mulberry trees in your path that have not been uprooted and cleared out and there will be problems for you until you figure it out. Whether you need to repent today and trust the Lord or you need to forgive today and trust the Lord. When you do your part of repentance or when you do your part of forgiveness, both are difficult when you do, these guys said, Lord, we're going to need some more faith for this. When you do your part, you're allowing God to do his part. Until you do your part. I would say it this way, and God is not allowed to do his part. And you might wonder, what, what's wrong with my life? Why isn't it unfolding sweetly? Where's the fruit? Where's the ministry? Where's the love? And by God's power right now, by his Holy Spirit, I would pray that he reveal to you something in your life you need to repent of. Just deal with it or somebody you need to forgive. And we're gonna talk about what repentance is and what forgiveness is, okay? So that way you, you do it right. Because there's so many misunderstandings. If I forgive this person, that's condoning what they did. No, it's not. If I forgive this person for what they did, that's, that's minimizing what they did. No, it's not. If I forgive this person for what they did, that's justifying and allowing them to continue sin. No, it's not. It's setting you free and allowing God to be the judge. There are rules that Jesus gives us for when we offend somebody, repent. And when we've been offended, forgive. This takes instruction and it takes God's power to help us walk this way and to be filled with the miraculous ability to obey the rules. A couple years ago, my boys were uh, wrestling and they were uh, being taught by Coach Tim Kaufman back here. And, and there were some rules in wrestling, how to win. And so last night in preparing for this message, I asked Noah. I said, hey, Noah, what are the three P's to pinning an opponent? And he looked at me and he said, pain, pressure, and patience. I was like, that's right, that's right. And then I looked at Nemo later on. And I was like, Nemo, because I tested him. What are the three P's of pinning your opponent? You know, what are the rules here to winning? And, and he thought to himself and went back in the Rolodex. And he said, pain, pressure, and patience. And then he went on to say, but I was never patient, dad. I just went for it. You know, I just want to pain and pressure. It's all, he was not a patient wrestler. And I, I was, it's been a couple years since my boys wrestled, but they remembered those three Ps. Here's the deal. You're going to wrestle somebody tomorrow. 
You might be wrestling somebody right now. You can make up your own rules if you want, and you'll fail. Or you can choose if you're caught up in an offense, if you're doing something wrong. You just need to repent. You need to repent, which is to slay your sin, to do away with it, to not make room for it. Don't make provision for it. But if, God forbid, you've been offended by somebody, to also freely forgive them, to trust the Lord. There's going to be a fight. As a matter of fact, Paul said it this way. I'm going to read to you out of Romans 12, verses 14 through 18. As a matter of fact, in my Bible, there's a caption above this portion. It says, behave like a Christian. This is kind of added there by the translators. I thought that's cool. Behave like a Christian. This is what it says to do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep and be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble and don't be wise in your own opinion. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, I like this verse. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is so important for you who must forgive somebody today. God says, would you let me take care of it? I'll do a better job. I will not let them off the hook without accomplishing the work in their life I need to do. It is not your job you must forgive them. It is a command. I will take care of it. He goes on to say this in Romans, and he quotes the book of Proverbs. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I grew up reading the Bible. And when I came across that verse as a young person, I thought it was so cool. Yeah, feed your enemy when he's hungry and give him something to drink when he's thirsty and you'll kill him with kindness, you know. That's what I thought. I was like, kill this guy, put fire on his head, burn him up. That's not what it means. Just so you, the Bible's way better than that. In that culture, if you didn't have fire in your house, you would take a bowl, put it on your head, and you would walk to your neighbor's house that had fire, and you'd say, can I borrow some of your coals? My fire's gone out. I'm cold. I can't cook. And they would heap coals of fire on your head in that bowl, and you would go back to your house and light your fire again and be able to cook and be warm and live. Heaping coals of fire on someone's head was the kindest thing you could do to them. How do we do that, the Bible says? Pray for your enemies. If they're cold, cover them. If they're hungry, feed them, thirsty. Now again, the attorney in your mind saying, not my enemies, they're gonna freeze to death. You know what I'm saying? Not doing it. And there are people here, you have, I'm gonna say it, and I hope you know what I mean, you have every right to, to feel that way because of the things that have been done to you, the atrocities, the abuse, the difficulty. Let me say this. When Jesus says, I need you to repent and I need you to forgive, this needs to be the language of a Christian. Christians need to repent daily, all day long of their stuff, and they also need to forgive daily. Don't hold grudges. Don't hold in your garbage. You've got to deal with that stuff. It's going to leave you high and dry if you don't. It's going to take a miracle to do this. You realize that, right? That's what Jesus says. If you have just a little bit of faith and you plant it in me, which he's real fruitful, you'll be able to do things that are miraculous, such as uproot these deep issues if you just trust me. Because if you're not a Christian here today, you're not gonna be able to do these two things. You're not gonna be able to repent, and you're not gonna be able to forgive, okay? And you will find a thousand friends on Facebook that will validate you in that choice. Repent of what? Forgive who? No way. When you read the Bible, though, he says, here's the rules to the fight, everyone. It's impossible that you're not gonna be offended. And I want you to repent, and I want you to forgive so quickly 
and so easily. The world doesn't know this, though. You and I who are believers, we do. This will change everything for your marriage. This will change everything for your employment, for your parenting, for, for where you work, for everything you're doing right now. If you repent of your stuff instead of justifying it. You ever done something stupid and justified it? Don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, repentance is saying, yeah, you know what? That was wrong, completely wrong. I own that, and I'm sorry I did that. I'm going to try not to do that. The very first rule of engagement, actually, is to kill your sin, okay? Make no room for the flesh. Just kill it. The first rule of engagement, the first P for pinning, if you would, the first rule is just say no to your sin. I understand what sin is. It's not weirdnesses and personalities and quirks and kind of the things that do or that make you who you are. Sin is sin. The Holy Spirit will show you what needs to be dealt with. Call it a sin and deal with it. Prayed for a guy at the end of the first service. He confessed some, some real tangible sins, some stuff that he needed to deal with, stuff that you could imagine. I was like, dude, I'm so proud of you, man. I said, you need to slay those things. I said, you need to put those to death every day for the rest of your life. And he really wants to walk in, in, in a new way. And I said, I'm so, that, that, that's it, dude, repent. But this idea of repenting and, and forgiving is a gift from the Holy Spirit to us. When, when they challenged him, said, we need more faith, he said, you've got enough faith. You just need a little bit. A couple weeks ago, I was at Starbucks. Most of my stories start that way, don't they? It was actually a Sunday morning. Might have been two weeks ago today. I can't remember. And I was at Starbucks, and I, I drove in before the services began, and I pre-ordered my sandwich on my mobile device so it'd be ready. And when I pulled in, I parked my car right there in front, my, my Tahoe right there in front, and I thought, should I turn my car off or just run in and get my sandwich? I decided to leave my car idling, which is not normally what I do. I just left it on and ran in there, and I grabbed my sandwich, but it wasn't ready yet. And so I was like, oh, it's, okay, it's not ready. I've got to wait for a second. And then I saw a friend, and so I started talking to the friend, and then my sandwich became ready, and I was still talking to my friend. And all the while, my car's outside idling right there, keys in it. And as I'm watching my car, talking to the, my friend here, a man walked out of the store right by my Tahoe, and he hawked the biggest loogie I've ever seen in my life on my car, this big. I think half his latte went on my car. I was like, whoa. And I was talking to this lady. I was like, whoa, I got to go. And I ran out there. I was like, hey, bro, why'd you spit on my car? And he stopped and turned around. And he said, you shouldn't have left your car on like that, idling, wasting fuel, polluting the air. And I was like, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. And I said, I don't normally do that. It's not my, you're right but you shouldn't have spit on my car. You know, I was smiling with my sandwich and just kind of wondering where this was going to go. I had to come to work. I can't do prison ministry today. I got to, you know, stay on task and can't go to jail today. And, and as soon as I apologized and then told him that he shouldn't have spit on my car, he went on to say certain things about polluting the environment and things that people are doing. I said, I, was, I, said, I, I agree with you, and I wasn't even doing those things you just mentioned, but you can't go spitting on people's cars. And I said, are you going to, I said, I own what I did. I told him this, and I was kind of smiling. I was like, I, I'm sorry. I don't do that. You're right. Are you going to apologize now for spitting on my car, you know? And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, what, what's your name, bro? <laughs> and he didn't tell me his name. I'll tell you what he looks like, though. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, and you know what? The whole, I was actually really impressed with how it went on, on my end, because it could have gone a number of different ways. I thought of a bunch of other ways of retaliation later on, more creative than I came up with on the fly. And I was so glad I didn't do any of those. 
But it was striking because while I don't know the condition of this man's heart for real, only God does, I can almost guarantee he's not a born-again believer. Not just based on what he did, but how he responded when I repented to him and said, yeah, dude, you're right. I don't, I, don't, I don't normally do that. You're right. But dude, you can't be doing that. In a normal Christian relationship conversation, it could have gone very differently where we both repent and we both offer forgiveness and then we both become great friends. And yet it doesn't just happen that way for everybody, but for believers, there is a mandate given to you and I. He's looking at his disciples, saying, if you're a Christian here, a couple things. Number one, don't offend people. Put your sin to death. Number two, he says, don't cause others to sin as well. And he's speaking to those religious leaders who would maybe take younger Christians and put weights on them, confuse them. He says, don't do that. Don't take a younger Christian, even numerically, a younger person or a younger believer and confuse them or get them to sin. And I would ask this question. You and I are going to be tempted to sin. We need to kill that sin. We're also going to be tempted to cause others to sin. Don't do that. Here's how it might look. You who are a Christian have another friend who's a Christian. And you know what's kind of fun from time to time is talking about other Christians with that Christian, leading them into sin and gossip, leading them into anger and hostility, leading them into division and discord. And I would say that if we decided to play by the rules and say, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to do that anymore. When I want to talk to my buddy or to that person about another person in the body or any, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. He says, woe to you. Strong words. Don't cause other people to sin. Don't be that guy. They're going to have plenty of battles. Don't be the one who brings the battle to their doorstep. And the third thing he says is when this happens, you need to repent. You need to own it. You need to be able to not justify it. You need to be able to deal with it just as he said. That's the third rule, repent and seek forgiveness. If you've broken those first two rules, let me just tell you what, a few things about repentance. Okay, repentance is not justifying or minimizing or managing your sin. It's truly being convicted by the Holy Spirit and saying, yep, you're right, shouldn't have done that. Just, I, I'm, and I'm sorry. And when you do that, you're trusting the Lord. You're putting a little mustard seed of faith in the soil. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. He said to do it, though. I'm just going to repent. I'm going to repent. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And if the person that's been offended chooses to also plant a little seed of faith in there and say, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. Let's see how that works. Let's take that for a spin. You repented because it's in the Bible. The Bible's asked me to now forgive you. Let's go see if that works. And obviously, there are different levels of offense but repentance and forgiveness are the same. It's not merely repentance. It isn't just grieving your consequences or getting caught. The Bible talks about that. It calls it worldly sorrow, where you're just bummed you got caught. And if you're a Christian here, you're actually, you're allowed to be glad you got caught. When King David was finally rebuked by Nathan for hiding his sin, I believe the weight of forgiveness that was allowed for him to then walk with set him so free. Repentance sets you free. It allows you to become the Christian and the person that God wants you to be. It's a changed life by the power of God for the glory of God. Verse three, he says, take heed to yourselves. He's saying this isn't about the person you're married to or somebody else. You worry about yourself. And if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. I didn't have very much time to develop these thoughts, but the first thought we talked about was if, if you're the sinner, if you're the one who needs to repent, you need to fight, kill your sin, put it to death. Don't leave others to sin, and if you have sinned, repent. What happens if you're the one who's been sinned against, though? What if you look down and you're covered in spit? 
What if you look down and you're covered in an offense? Somebody's hurt you. What do you do? He tells us exactly what to do. First off, he says, rebuke him, verse 3. And if he repents, forgive him. He goes on to say, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. What? Two things are happening here. Number one, there is rebuke, okay, in love. If somebody's offending you, the Bible instructs you to forgive them, but it also instructs you to rebuke them, okay, because you love them to hold them accountable, to show them the mirror of God's word, to use an accountability partner, to use a pastor, use a team. Every instance has a different set of necessity to move forward. How are we, we going to navigate this forward? But love would say if you're a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a coach or an employer, instead of just dealing with people's offenses, put your hand around their shoulder, don't squeeze too hard, and rebuke them. Say, hey, what you're doing here is wrong. But you shouldn't be doing this. That guy could have come into Starbucks and said, whose car's out there? On. This is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And I was, oh, dude, my bad. You're right. My bad. Sorry. And it would have been a, a frontal rebuke. It would have worked. And then repentance could have happened. Jesus instructs us to rebuke those who are offending us. This takes care and concern. It takes thought. It takes intentionality. But he also tells us that when that person repents and asks for forgiveness, you're to forgive them. Not just once, not twice, thrice, four times, five, six, seven times, he says. This is going to take a great amount of faith. And actually, not necessarily a great amount of faith, but a faith in something bigger than yourself. Being able to trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing. Look what the apostle said in verse 5. And the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. And he goes on to say that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Number one, we're supposed to rebuke them. Number two, we're supposed to forgive them. Number three, we're supposed to continue to rebuke and continue to forgive. How many of you guys raised kids yet? You ever had to forgive those kids? Once, twice, maybe seven times a minute? And I think it's such a great experience grace and forgiveness and constant forbearance. How many times have your, I shouldn't even bring this up, how many times have your kids spilled their milk all over the table? I've got a couple kids, one in particular, he's prone to spilling the milk. And you know what he's going to do later on this week? He's going to spill the milk. It's going to happen. So we buy lots of milk. <laughs> we could stop buying milk. No more milk for you. Done. Seven times, Bible said seven times, and you are done. <laughs> How's that water on your cereal, bro? <laughs> no, no. Whole milk, organic, my house, okay? It's gonna be good. Good milk. What if we did this as, as brothers and sisters? What if we truly chose to continue to rebuke people in love and continue to forgive them? Rebuke and forgive. It goes two ways, this forgiveness, this repentance. Let me say a few things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denying sin, pretending it didn't happen. When you forgive somebody, you're not saying, well, it's not that big a deal. No, it's a big deal. You're not saying it's okay, you can do it again. No, no, no you cannot do it again. You're not saying, I forgive you, it never happened. No, dude, it totally happened. Matter of fact, for some of you with more serious situations in the offense of your life where you've been hurt, Forgiveness is commanded. You must forgive that person. That doesn't mean that the situation or relationship will be the same as it was before. It might be very, very different. 
there might be a huge strain on the relationship. You may be asked to forgive that grandparent for what they've done, but that grandparent may not be able to come over to the house anymore. You may be able to forgive that spouse for what they've done to you, but that person that that spouse did that to might not be in your inner circle of your friends anymore. There's going to be a change. You are commanded to forgive. The Bible declares that God has chosen to forget. I have found that I'm unable to, but I have to forgive. I have to, how do I do that? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will be better at leading that person to righteousness than you. The Bible says in the book of James that the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. You only have two choices, forgiveness and freedom, unforgiveness and bitterness. And Jesus here, I think, knowing that we're all gonna go through this, oh, it's impossible that offenses should not come. What do we do then? Repent, don't be the offender, and if you are, ask for forgiveness. And if you've been offended, forgive. How many times? Forever. Your whole life through. Things might be different moving forward, but Jesus still commands that we forgive. Now, in hearing this, there are objections. There is pushback. We don't really want to do this. And we have what is called free will and the choice to actually act on this or not. And Jesus gives what I believe is a very hard illustration in order to ask us to obey. Matter of fact, read the next portion of scripture with me, verses 7 through 10. I've quoted this scripture often, and I think I've quoted it out of context. I'm going to read it to you, and we'll study it in context. It says, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's coming from the field, come in at once and sit down to eat, but will he not rather say to him, hey, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that he were commanded him? (laughs) I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all the things which you were commanded, say... We are unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jesus now knowing the importance of repentance and forgiveness, knowing the rebellion within our own hearts to not forgive. I'd rather just fight you. I'd rather hold you at arm's distance. I'd rather be your judge. Jesus says that will kill you. And so what I'm gonna do is tell you what to do. Well, we need more faith to do this. Just take the little bit you got. Do it. Trust me, and you'll see miracles happen. Deliverance, stuff uprooted and moved out of the way, and your life will change forevermore. And if that's not enough for you, do it because I said to. And he pulls out the organizational chart here. And he says, if the master is hungry and you're the servant, guess what you're doing? Cooking. And if you've worked all day and you come in from working all day and you're the servant, guess what you're going to do some more of? Work. And do you think the master is going to say thank you for doing the work you were asked to do after you've done the work you were asked to do? I think not. And at the end of the day, you who were asked to do something very plainly by the master, you were to say, looking at yourself in the mirror, I'm an unprofitable servant having done what I was asked to do. This is hard teaching because Jesus knows that if you decide to do it your way and not forgive and just justify yourself in your pain and your hurt and your misunderstandings and all the difficulties you've been through and be your own advocate, if you decide to do that, your life's not going to grow. There's going to be no fruit in your life. And so Jesus uses what I would say is a hard illustration 
He says, I'm in charge. Do what I said. Can you imagine if we just did everything he said because he's in charge? We live in such a gracious age. The Lord asked me to do this. I'm just waiting for confirmation. Wait, what, he did what? He asked me to do it, but I'm waiting for confirmation. No, no, he asked you to do it. You don't need no confirmation. Do it. I don't know if I can trust him. Really? I think everyone in here would all agree you can trust the Lord. Do you think he knows what he's talking about with betrayal? Do you think he knows what he's talking about with abuse? He was physically abused. He was emotionally abused. He was spiritually abused. He was financially abused. He was taken advantage of. Every single person, the closest to him, hurt him deeply. And Jesus, with that pain in his own heart, says the only way through this fight, the only rules that are work, forgiveness. What? What isn't there some other way? Restitution? Hard time? Not your call. You forgive. I pray in Jesus' name that people are set free today from bitterness, being bound, and being fruitless in the pain that you've endured because your Savior endured greater pain than you and he's not looking at you as one who cannot empathize or sympathize with our weaknesses but instead knows what it's like. And he says, would you trust me? I I want to remove stuff out of your life that is rooted in there. There's things that are messing with you because you're unable to forgive. And if you're like me, you're quick to judge people. You're quick to yell at people. Why'd you spit on my car? You know, quick to hold a court service. And the Lord says, you know what you need to do? Be quick to forgive. Slow to speak. We can trust the Lord. He's the king. He is supreme. He is the boss. He is the leader. He is the commander. He's the one who tells us what to do. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us as we respond in communion. And even as the communion elements are brought out, they're reminders for you and me that what Jesus asks us to do, he himself did do. That he himself, when he hung upon the cross, when he was crucified at Calvary, he prayed for his accusers. The very first thing out of Jesus' mouth as he pushed up on that spike that had his feet into the tree, he pushed himself up so he could take a breath and he took that breath and said, Father, smoke all these fools. (laughs) No, it's not what he said. I would not have been surprised if he said that. He took that breath He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And he dropped back down as his heart would continue to explode. And as soon as he prayed that prayer, the thief on his right said, I would love that forgiveness. I deserve to be here. I'm a sinner. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he repented. Jesus looked over, if if he could look at all, blood stained face. And he answered that man as he pushed back up on that spike. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. No questions. Forgiveness. Setting the prisoner free. Walking in the fruit of his ministry, the Savior. demonstrating to us what he would ask us to do today to forgive those who've offended us, to let them go, to trust the Lord. 
Not justifying their sin, not condoning their sin, not minimizing their sin, not pretending it didn't happen, but trusting that God knows what he's doing. And and two truths we covered today. Would you close your eyes? Two truths. One is that we as Christians, we need to repent of our stuff. You got to own it. Stop giving yourself excuses. Stop it. Stop being an offender of others or an offender of God. Stop. And if you need to repent today, repent to God and repent to somebody else. Tell somebody what you're dealing with. Do it. Get, get after it. Get that prayer. Say, I want to get, I need forgiveness. I need it today. Repent to get that forgiveness today. It's what we do as Christians. We repent all the time. If you haven't repented in weeks or months, I just, I wonder what's really going on. Is there fruit in your life? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. What's that? What do you need to repent of? Sins that we do are word and deed. They're thoughts. They're acts of omission. Things we don't do. Things of commission. Things we do do. Sin. Repent. And the second thing we learned today is that not only do we need to repent, that's what we do as Christians, but we also need to forgive, not hold grudges. Not hold people to a standard that they can't meet. Not be the judge of their life. Who do you need to forgive today? You need to say, you know what? What you did was wrong, but that's between you and the Lord. I forgive you. I'm doing my part. And I need the Lord to do his part. But I'm doing my part. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to just smile at in your heart and mind when you think of them now instead of grimacing? Commit them to the Lord. It's not a matter of do they deserve it. Were you commanded to do it? He's commanded you to trust him. And if you need help in either one of these areas of repenting of your stuff or forgiving somebody else of theirs, would you just raise up your hand right now and just kind of nod into that? Just raise up your hand right now and say, yep, I need help, Lord, dealing with my stuff. I'm, I, I'm an offender. I've got junk he would tell you to repent today and if you need help forgiving somebody maybe somebody let you down somebody hurt you deeply somebody's messed with you and you, you, and you need help you, you're like Lord increase my faith raise up your hand if you need more faith raise up your hand if you want to sow that seed of forgiveness today raise up your hand and say I just want to forgive my dad I'm, just, I'm still I cry once I'm hurt he wasn't there for me maybe you need to forgive that ex-spouse Forgive that, that friend who used to be your friend is not what happened. Just need to forgive. Maybe your kids have hurt you. Just said hurtful stuff and more than spilled milk, it's, it's more serious than that. And you need to forgive them. You raise up your hand and say, yeah, Lord, just, I'm going to do it. Maybe with an excitement in your heart. Say, I'm going to repent today. I'm going to forgive today. I'm, I'm doing it, Lord. Like an unprofitable servant having just done what I was asked to do. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Raise up your hand and smile knowing that the Lord will do his part. He knows. It's not going to spin out of control. It's going to be in his control. It's going to produce fruit and miracles in your life. And so Jesus, you see the hands that are up that need to repent. You see the hands that are up that need to forgive. Lord, and we, we raise our hands in Jesus' name, surrendering to you, Lord, the, the, the King Supreme. Thank you for giving us the rules of engagement so we might know how to fight well. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. 
And may we forgive those who've sinned against us. Help us not to be the judge, not to be the jury, not to be attorneys, Lord. Help us to trust that you'll do all that. You can put your hands down. And Lord, as we come to the table of communion, we see your heart, Lord, evidenced through your broken body and your spilled blood. We know, Lord, that you are for us, not against us, and you are able to take our lives and redeem them in our sins, Lord, and forgive us in our hurts. You're able to do all these things. So, Lord, what we do now, we proclaim your death until you return. We examine ourselves, and we thank you in advance, Lord. We need help, though. May this church be the most repenting church ever, Lord, in Jesus' name. Help us not to hide our stuff anymore. May this church, Lord, be the most forgiving church, forgiving people. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. I don't want to think bad about that guy that spit on my car. I just want to forgive him. He's having a bad day. He's mad about stuff. Help me to love him. And everybody else that's, that's hurt me, Lord, help me to love them. Just for, forgive them. Let us be a forgiving church. Heal marriages here, Lord. Husbands and wives that are just bitter at each other. I, just take it for a spin. Say, yeah, I just, I'm going to forgive you. I just, I'm, I'm over it. I need this mulberry tree out of here. I need the roots of bitterness gone. Do it. We do it to the glory of Jesus, to the honor of our God, who has given the same reconciliation to us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We honor you now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.